0: candle I've chosen is sovereign and I might even tie that in by the time I get to my last paragraph um, is there anyone here who feels like they fall short in witnessing and giving God glory uh, in addition to me um, I was saved as a 10 or 11 year old and I was in the um, lay witness mission movement of the 60s, 70s, uh, very active in a church at college. Um, but I've never never been good at sharing. Uh, of course, the enemy is, is always there to say, uh, you know, you schmuck, you schmo, you know, God does all this for you and, you know, you, you can't even, you know, utter a, uh, a word in favor of me. Um, but I have encouragement for you. Uh, most of you know I work for the post office. And, uh, the office I'm in is Rice. It's teeny tiny. I'm the only one working. Uh, been there seven and a half years, and in that time, the customers mostly have become acquaintances and then become friends. Some of them, good friends. Um, I'm I'm so richly blessed that um, when people come in and say, "How are you doing?" Um, my frequent reply now is, uh, "Couldn't be better." Uh, and I, you know, I say that on the phone too. And and there's frequently, I guess people that come in all the time are used to it. But uh, there's frequently this sort of stunned uh, reaction. Um, and if if I perceive that they're curious as to what that's all about, I I say, well, I've got, uh, I've got a job that I enjoy. I've got a uh, Wonderful wife. I've got two sons that are uh, both uh, married to wonderful women. They each have two kids that are doing great. Um, they all follow the Lord. Um, you know, what What more could I ask? Uh, and, you know, the Christians will say, amen. And the others, um you know they're they're curious, I guess. Um, but the really encouraging part is uh, now that I've begun giving God a teeny bit of glory, um, He's putting His love through me for these people. I uh, I, I feel them uh, when, when I'm looking at them. I just feel God's care and concern, and um, I'm hoping that they perceive it. I think they do. Um, So this is where the sovereignty comes in. I'm uh, convinced that the Lord will send in somebody who's um, afraid of what's going on or um, discouraged, um, hopeless, and just that one bit of cheer, just that one indication that that God is real and God is uh, alive and, and and loving them. Um, that's that's my little testimony.
1: Well, thank you, Vince, and thank you, welcome, worship team, and good morning. Welcome to New Covenant Fellowship. Everybody who's here and those of you watching, it's another big crowd today. Glad to see everybody. Let's continue worshiping the Lord in prayer. God, we sang that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, and you are worthy of all of our exaltation, God. We want to raise you up and glorify you. Lord, give us strength and uh, courage As we live our lives to share you with those who do not know you, God, we pray for the lost souls that we we meet and those that we know that are in our families and those that we cross paths with every day. Lord, I want to take a second to just pray for our um, elected leaders from the president down to the governor, to our local boards of supervisors and mayors. And uh, God, I pray that each of them would know you and would seek to glorify you in the decisions that they make. God, have your way in the service. Sanctify us, God. Make us more like Christ. Help us so that when we leave today, we would just be filled with the Holy Spirit and want to share him uh, as we live our lives. God, we thank you for the uh, provision that you provide to us, uh, the way that we were able to live our lives, and we return a portion of that so that your kingdom can grow. Lord, we ask you to be, be with Pastor Paul today. Bless him as he speaks, as he edifies us, God, as he trains us, as he helps us to know you better. We just ask your blessing on him. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: All right, there we go. Thank you, Vince. Appreciate that testimony and your uh, humble way in your servant's heart It came out strong And I have opportunity to Speak to Vince frequently And he'll often talk about Such and such came into the post office And said this And, and I responded And he has quite a ministry going on there So if you're ever in Rice Stop by and, and uh, See the guy who couldn't be better Well You I haven't even really uttered the first word of the sermon, and I'm so encouraged that God has just been so immensely glorified in here this morning with the songs and, um, and Vince's testimony and Kevin's prayer. And I've got to edit a, little, a few of my sermon notes here because uh, Noah's helping me preach it in Psalm 2, quoting H.B. Charles. I didn't even know he wrote a commentary on Psalm 2. I missed out on that one, but um, we are in Psalm 2 this morning and we're going to continue this and kind of break in tradition a little bit in that usually we reserve the Psalms for communion Sundays, Um, but I'm going to preach this one back to back and then I'm going to break tradition again unless the spirit leads me otherwise for January's communion Sunday. We won't do a Psalm, so I'm going to switch out. We will continue with our um, series on the book of Second Peter. I'm going to begin that after Christmas. And then we'll also preach that for our communion Sunday to break tradition there. That way we can get a good start without interrupting the very um, introduction to that book. But Psalm 2 is just perfect for what we're doing here. In this Christmas season, it's perfect for celebrating Advent and anticipating Christ the King because it's a messianic psalm. And also it talks about his kingship. And so it fits perfectly with this year's theme. Sovereign over us of Advent. So the Lord just always has ways of fitting different things together. Man makes the plans. But God directs his step. Now last week we looked primarily at the immediate context. And I'll read the psalm for you in just a minute. But it's a coronation psalm. And that is. And we looked at. Uh, What was happening when it was actually written? It was written about a real life um, coronation where King David or somebody in the Davidic line was being coronated. And God had something to say about his king, his son. And also in that day, the king really had true enemies, really had rebels that plotted against him and really uh, urged those in rebellion to come under him. Because he is God's anointed. And so one thing we learned last week in that immediate context is that the kings that God set in place are anointed by God. And therefore, when you mess with that king, in a sense, you're messing with God. And we looked at that last week. Now, the overall message of this psalm, and I'll reiterate it again, I think, is there is no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. And I think that's something that we cannot hear enough, that little phrase, because as you'll see this morning, our tendency is to not take refuge. Sometimes our tendency is to run from the very king that we need the most. Uh, So morning's um, part two of this psalm is going to be more personal. So we've looked at the, the immediate context this morning. I hope to really probe, use God's word to probe into our hearts And to apply it even in a more immediate way. The message is what we all need to hear, I think, this psalm. Matter of fact, this psalm is what is what the world needs to hear in this day and age. It's an appeal. It's an appeal to evaluate your heart. It's an appeal to evaluate your life. What are we doing with our lives? Where are we putting our our time and our energies? Where is our allegiance and our loyalty? Going, See, we we long for refuge. The human heart longs for the refuge that's offered in this song. And it's a real life refuge. So I can't think of a better time to reiterate the reality that Jesus is king. And we need Jesus, the king. I want to look at three points, kind of similar to the ones. uh Uh-oh candle just fell out of the window. <clears throat> just a distraction. But it's still lit for those of you that can't see. The light is still going strong. So I want to look at the three points this morning as there is a king who is over all. A king above all kings. And secondly, that there are rebels in his kingdom. And lastly, that the rebels need the king and his kingdom. So let's look at our psalm. This morning, it's just 12 verses. Let's hear the voice of our Savior. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we see this is a coronation psalm. And we see God has put his man in place. And having done that, there are hostiles. There are those that are his enemies. They don't like this idea of someone being possibly in Power over them. And yet also there's a stern warning there to the rebels. Watch your step. Watch yourselves. Because to mess with this king is to mess with the one and only true God who has a furious wrath. So all then we see also that when you read it carefully... This is not just written to the immediate king of the day when the psalm was written. Because what this king can accomplish and and, and the power that is behind him from God extends beyond his means. And and neither David or anyone in David's line to this point has accomplished what is written in here. And we're talking about the extent of his wrath, but also the extent of his reign. So David conquered quite a bit of the promised territory there, but he didn't conquer or rule over every nation from the ends of the earth or I like them. I never noticed, I think it was crowned with many crowns, the phrase from pole to pole. Isn't that neat? Because we know the world is round and you have the poles there. It's like everything from pole to pole, from point to point. But the promise here, this messianic psalm says that the king that God sets in place actually will rule over all things. There will not be a realm in existence that is not submitted to the rule of this king. So you see that it's way... Uh, more glorious, it's, it's grander than what could be accomplished in that point in time in history. This is the promise of this anointed king, which by that word, by the way, means the Messiah. God's going to establish his Messiah. So let's look at the first point here. There's a king who is overall, we saw it in verses 4 through 9, verse 6, as "As for me, I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, there are plenty of kings we know. Plenty of kings in history. They come and they go. Uh, They have friends. They have foes. But this psalm talks about the king. There is the, the king. And behind the king is the God who knows no bounds in the exercise of his power and his sovereignty so the language sets this king apart and this god as uh, apart he is the king of kings so in essence you know the, the davidic line is a microcosm if you will of the king to come the promised messiah that god will establish and when you think about kings isn't it interesting? And we even I even can see it now in my generation. Isn't it interesting that the world, in a sense, has a love-hate relationship with kings and royalty? It's like kings, there have been absolutely terrible kings in our in our history. Just absolute tyrants who abuse. Their power ravished lands and and people, caused tremendous destruction, and ushered in eras of darkness and where, where people and land uh, don't thrive, sickness instead of f- human flourishing. And yet, there there remains, I think, in in our minds and humanity, th- this dreamy sense. Uh, Magical, if you will, Uh, this dreamy sense of a great king, a great ruler it kind of lurks in the back of our our heads. And and we we almost have this hope in us, Uh, a fascination with the prospect of a good ruler, a fascination with a, a good king that will actually come and rule in such a way that civilization will begin to prosper and bloom. Now we see, in our day and age, that there are leaders and there are rulers that can damage civilization, and yet there are those that can implement certain kind of leadership and policies and so forth uh, around the globe that can cause their people that they rule over to flourish and to being, be, begin to rise up, begin to sense hope and goodness. So I think there's a sense in all of humanity or a longing for some great figure to just be able to come and to lead us out of the messes that we often witness, lead us out of the messes that we ourselves create in our own lives or our own towns or communities. A longing for good leadership to put all things back together. And just to mention a few of the legends you think about the huge hits that people, books that people still read. You think about Robin Hood, who, who wanted to kind of keep... There was a bad king in Robin Hood, and, and he, he wanted to kind of keep him in check until a good king could come back and be established. That was the role that he played. And we have stories like uh, King Arthur. King Arthur and, and the Knights of the Round Table. And in this legend, this book, there, there's this king. He's incredibly courageous, puts his life on the line. He's a great leader. He's very wise. He, he's compassionate. He's, he's consider, considerate and, and he, he accomplishes great feats. And it's interesting that in the actual book, in the text of the book was originally written. It's, it's an old book. It was originally written in... Latin, in the some of the final words of the book, it says, here lies Arthur, king once, and king in the future. That's translated from Latin. And um, T.H. White says succinctly, it could be translated as the once and future king. So you read about this great king and how sad it was that he no longer exists, but it leaves you with this hope that the great king will come back and once again lead his people, and then of course I can't neglect to mention perhaps my favorite king in the trilogy. Second to the Bible, Lord of the Rings. Okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I just love that that trilogy. It's the king, of course. And times are hard in this story. You know, your hearts just resonate with this stuff. Times are hard. The darkness is growing so quickly. You, you can smell it coming from the mountain and from below the ground. Like evil is just rising up and, and people sense it and they know it. And it's it's very, very ominous. And then you're told about this king. There's a king and he exists, but he's deep in the north right now. We don't know exactly, he hasn't made himself known, he's kind of hidden, but he's going to appear. And when this king appears, all that you see that is going down, that is withering, will once again flourish and come to life and blossom. And as it reads, the hands of a king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. And his name is Jesus in real life, but just in make-believe, my make-believe world is Aragorn, the king. So <clears throat> this, is, this is what we deal with in our hearts and minds, that we have this love-hate relationship. In real life, you know, most kings, not all, but most kings were, were bad rulers. And we live in a world that deposes kings. We topple kings. And yet in our hearts... We long what we really want is a good king a good leader somebody that ac- can accomplish what our hearts long for and the only monarchs that are monarchies that exist today you know are are basically for show really for for tradition um, and most of the monarchies have been replaced by democracy. So even the kings or the monarchies that are in place, their their power has been limited. We live in that. So the position that they hold, uh, this dreamy idea, does have a sense of power. It's interesting whenever there's any kind of movement in England with royalty, Americans get obsessed with it, with the movement of royalty and the kings and the queens and the princesses and so forth. All of the drama that goes on in that family. And uh, so we are quite fascinated with all of that. And so I guess, you know, it's kind of like you've heard the expression. Um, I can't remember if it's w- w- with like men. You can't live with, can't live without them. It's like kings. You can't live with, you can't live without them. It's a sense of. Longing. So wh- wh- where does that come from? Why such a need? Well, I believe, deeply believe, it's a theological thing. It's a need that comes from the story of Scripture, the, the, the narrative of our existence in the world. Because, indeed, we actually were created by a king, a sovereign monarch. One who ruled wisely, absolutely perfectly. And who had a place for everything. Everything was in order. And even though we're in rebellion, which is a point two, our hearts long for what we skipped out on, what we missed out on, what we rebelled against. Our hearts long for that. And, and it's, it's still there in us, this idea of greatness to come and fix our problems. We, we know deep down that we can't do it. And really, there, there, there are good leaders in place there are good good authorities but there none of them are perfect nobody has a perfect record so we all have to live with each other's mistakes from the greatest to the least magnitude matter of fact we have democracy i think not because you know it's like if you if you search the bible well what kind of government are we supposed to have it doesn't tell you and we have a democracy uh, because of it's like the best we can do with what we have to work with. And democracies take into consideration that man it has good aspects because he's created in the image of God, although not all democracies would say that. But there's good in man, but there's also great evil. And so democracy puts more of the people and not just one person in power calling all the shots. This idea of a king has refused to die. I like what Winston um, Churchill said about a democracy. He said many forms of government have been tried. So what's the best government? We've been trying to figure it out since the beginning of time, after the rebellion. And there, they will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Instead, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others that have been tried from from time to time. And so the idea is because there is no great one figure out there who can handle the burden and and rule with excellence, it's the best we, we got to work with, is democracy. Timothy Keller says, the Bible says, there is a king above all kings. There's there's a king behind all kings. There's a king beneath the legends of kings that we hear about. Even the greatest kings are just dim reflections of the memory trace in us. If you reject, reject the true king, you'll find a king. Because you have to. Even if you reject the idea that there is a true king intellectually, you can't reject it ontologically. You can't reject it in your being. You can't reject it psychologically. You'll find someone to adore. You'll find a savior. You'll find kings you'll, that you will adore. You need a king. And if you don't have one, you'll find one. And you're going to create one. And you may create a false king. And it's going to poison your life. If you deny your physical nature food, it will gobble poison eventually. Because you got to have it. It will eat anything if you deny your spiritual nature, the king it needs it will gobble something it will gobble poison And what do we see but individuals and people all around rejecting the true king, but they still need something in their lives a, a figure of sort and so they gobble poison. What does God to say to us in this psalm? I set my king in Zion I will give my king the entire earth. He's generous to this king. He gets all of it. Every crumb. And of course, in this Christmas season, what are we celebrating? Oh, but the coming of the king. And the angels broke the silence of the heavens to proclaim it. And then the humble servants that huddled around in the manger, all the different characters. They were there. This really happened because a king was born. The king has come into the world and we celebrate that during this, during this season with our hearts adoring him. There's no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. And then second, as you know, there are rebels In this kingdom. Why do the nations rage? What do they do? They rage. They plot against. They put their minds and their energy against. How can we get out of this ruler? Out from underneath this person whom God has set up. Verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart. And cast away their cords from us. So there's a true king. And though humanity longs for this king, there's also, because of the fall, a part of us that actually wants nothing to do with this king. Now, if we could have it our way, we would just use him. And just give us the good things that we want. And then we're going to reject your rulership and all the rules. And boy, what would life look like then? People don't like to submit. They don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to submit unless it's to my benefit. Just being honest. Ruffles my feathers. So people, families, towns, tribes, communities, nations, uh, we like to do our own thing. We don't like this idea of being chained to something that's over us. Having to submit. And that is because of our sin nature. It started in Adam. And it will be with us. And it is only removed by Christ. We all bear it around the globe from pole to pole. Everybody's born with a sin nature. And there's this rebellion, a rebellious streak. And it's stronger in some than others. Some Some of us hide it really well. You'd never know that some people have this sin nature. And others don't hide it at all. They're the ones you want to avoid if you can. What do we want to do? We want to break the chains of God's anointed. And it, how interesting it is, Noah's verse in Matthew, where Jesus, he just comes. Now, he's grown now. He's no longer the baby in the man manger, and he's grown. And one of the things he says to the people that are hurting, the people that are searching for this leader, this king, they want the Messiah. Some of them are just seeking, testing them out, and others know, yeah, he's the one. And he says, uh, take my, my burdens light. Take my yoke upon you. Interesting terminology. Why? Because Hebrew scholars will tell you in this psalm that the words for bonds and and chains aren't really like... They're not describing so much these kings saying, I don't want you to put us in chains. The word is better translated yoke. And there's a difference. Because when you talk about a yoke, you're not talking about putting people in prison... You're talking about putting your yoke on them, which means basically um, you're mine. You're my servant. I I want to utilize you. You know, you're you're, you're my you're my workforce. Uh, You're my foreman's. You're you're my leaders. But I want to employ you. And so I put my yoke upon you so everybody can do their part. But I'm in charge. It's my yoke. and, And I put the boundaries around you. It's a different concept here. And so what they're really upset about is that they, not being in prison, they're upset that I don't want anybody to own me. I want to be my own person. You put an oak on things so they serve you, and, it, and it, it exemplifies ownership. I own you. And a lot of us, all of us, do not like that kind of relationship. Our sin nature rebels against it. Because I want to only be accountable to myself and answer only to myself. That's the impulse of every human heart because of the fall. See, our rebellion puts us under the curse of the king, under the wrath of the king. Uh, writer George McDonald, I'll paraphrase, he says, The one conviction... <clears throat> The one conviction that everybody in hell shares is, "I am my own." Isn't that interesting? So, if there, is there unity in hell? Apparently, so. I am my own. See, because that that conviction is really what creates hell, right? It creates this bad place of creatures that. Say, I'm my own. It's another way of saying what I'm not is yours. And you will not rule over me. Now, it's that same attitude that ruins everything that God created. Think about it. Bring that attitude into a marriage and what happens? I'm not going to consider you. I'm not answering to you. I answer to myself. Bring it into any relationship. Bring it into your family. Bring that attitude into communities. Communities. Or neighborhoods. Or, or the workplace. Bring that attitude into the church. And you brought hell into the church. Because the church is about submitting and adoring the king. I wear no yoke but my own. So you try to put it on me and I will take it off. <clears throat> you can see a microcosm of this. If you're a parent. You will know that. It is in human nature for your children to go through times where they do not want to obey. You. And you just tell them to do something and they won't do it or they'll refuse. It's that sin nature. Now, other times, you know, if they need you, if they want something, you couldn't have more a loyal, loving child. They love when they allow themselves to love. And they will love you. They might run from you when it's time to go to bed. But if it's time to read a book, they're right in your lap. You know, it's interesting, this idea of ownership. And I won't spend much time on this, but what's going on in America right now. Is that we are create we're we dislike this yoke this idea of being accountable to any thing but ourselves to any external force or being or god or gods that we are just giving ourselves rights all over the place right I mean, how many times are you reading about, I want rights, this rights, those rights? We're we're writing in, we want to write into our Constitution to be a people that are governed by all these rights. So we're just giving ourselves rights. And we're giving ourselves rights because we think, well, that's where the freedom is. If I have a right to do this and a right to do that, then I'll be set free because you keep me in bondage by telling me that I can't do things that I want. To do So we want to get free of this yoke of this idea of accountability and we have the right to divorce. We have the right for abortion. We got the right to be any gender we want and I can just call myself a gender and I have the right for you to address me according to my feeling of the day or my mood of the day. It's my right. It's my human Right. And it's my right to divorce my parents, that happens. So we're just given, now animal rights. And we're even given animal rights. As if they present themselves in court and tell us the kind of lives they want to live. It's it's this false idea that if we can just get out from under everybody's yoke, we will be better off. And it's a lie. We need the law of God. We need the yoke of God. And as a matter of fact, if what this psalm is telling us this morning is true, that there is a king, he's a good king, and God is behind him, then everything that we do to throw off that yoke or push it off our necks is only hurting us, not helping us. It's only putting us in greater bondage, pushing us down, not lifting us up. It's a deception. And that's why to think back on our identity in Christ series, it's so paramount for us to know how we got here, why we're here, who created us, and what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. God created us. God loves us. God will redeem us. God tells us how to find meaning. God tells us how to find purpose. God can fill your heart. Stuff it full and lavish us with love. All the things that you just won't find anywhere else. We have to know that what God says is true. And he speaks with great authority over our lives. And so in this psalm, we are beckoned and encouraged to come to the king. And by the way, what is Jesus doing As we speak, Jesus the King who is reigning at the right hand of God because He ascended to heaven after He rose from the dead. What is He doing right now? We sung about it. We said, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the first... Curse is found far as the curse is found. Jesus is removing the curse. He's removing the curse that was put in place because of man's rebellion. And he is removing it out of every heart that has taken that light yoke. Upon. Itself. Yes, the nation's rage. Yes, we rage. But this king demands all of us. He wants our whole heart, our mind, our soul. He wants everything that he created us to be, to be infatuated with him, loyal to him. As a matter of fact, when... Somebody entertaining the idea of being a disciple of Christ. Man, Jesus, this guy, he does miracles and he takes care of people. And I think I might want to be his disciple. And he comes to him in Luke 14 and 26. And Jesus says to him, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your mother and father. Well, that's an awkward way to put it, but it's very poignant, right? In other words... The kind of relationship that, that I require is that you love me so, so incredibly, so, so much, that your relationship to me uh, makes all the other relationships look like you hate people. So you, you have risen this relationship to a level. That puts all other relationships to shame. Is that the kind of discipleship that you had in mind? So it's this total allegiance. So that any feelings of love for anything else are secondary. Because this king is supreme. This king is number one. That's God's yoke upon us. And yes, God says, I made you. I own you. And I deserve to be served by you and loved by you and known by you and adored by you and worshipped by you. Ironically, how do you even get saved? The way we get saved is by admitting, yes, I have a rebellious heart. Oh, there are times, God, when I don't want to do what you tell me to do, even though I know it's right. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've enlightened my mind to show me that that is wrong in this world that you created. And so in order to get saved, first I have to see my sin. First I have to see my rebellion. And then I believe. And that's when I come and I bow the knee. Crown him with many crowns. You're the king. And that's how salvation works. And then lastly, rebels need the king and the kingdom. So so what do we do? Therefore, kings, be wise, be warned. People of the earth, rulers of the earth, you and I, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. So there is no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. And this is a stern warning. What does he say? You got to kiss the son. You got to admit his rulership. You got to you got to come to grips with reality, with what's really happening in the world. Now, what's really happening in the world? Not all the politics and all the drama and all the fake news and stuff. Yeah, that that's happening. But there's something else more powerful than that happening, and that is Jesus is King, and is he is reigning and ruling in people's hearts. He's setting up his kingdom, and we need to realize that kind of kingship and. You know, God helps us see uh, how rebellious we are, and then at the same time, how worthy He is. That's kind of what the Christian life is, right? Showing us how rebellious, ah, that's not good for you. That's a bad thought. That's going to lead you to a bad place. And behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. The Bible calls us to behold Christ, to study, to look at the King. He is majestic. And the very yoke as we come to Christ, what we discover and we're discovering it and I'm discovering it is the very yoke that I wanted nothing to do. The very yoke that I wanted to get out from under the very yoke that I was convinced was stifling me, was putting in change. Who wants to live that kind of life? That's the very yoke that I need the most. And that is the only yoke that will actually give me the life that my heart longs for, that will actually give me the freedom that I want. We need the yoke of Christ. The world needs Christ, the King, in order for us to flourish individually, in order for us to flourish as a church. We want to take on this yoke and take it on with joy. As a matter of fact, if we don't, according to this psalm, we will perish miserably lost and disappointed. Yoke. God joke. It's a good thing. It's an easy thing. I close with this example. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm heading to the close with this example. So you have a child, right? So you have a child and you see great giftings, maybe some kind of great gifting in this child. And as a parent, you want to nurse that you think, wow, that's there. That's great. The, the, the great things could come from this. And so now, let's just say it's playing the piano. And so you want to encourage that child to play the piano. And they like to play the piano. But then you do what? You want them to really thrive and flourish. And so you give them lessons. You pay for lessons. You get a, a music teacher or something. A really good music teacher in calm. And calm. And what became fun to the child who was just kind of playing on its own with its own freedom now it doesn't like these lessons that much. I got to play songs that I don't like. I got to play songs I never even heard of. That's no fun. And the the teacher's making me practice certain disciplines so I can get coordination in my fingers and play these things, and it's terrible. And you tell that child, stick with it. You have a gift, and you need this yoke. So the child feels like you just put this yoke on me, and it's stifling me, and I feel like I'm in jail. No, you need that yoke to be what you were created to be, to to enable what's in you to really flourish. And so you stick with it, hopefully. You stick with the lessons. And the next thing you know, you're learning things that you didn't know you could do. You're hearing sounds. Maybe you're even writing your own music. You're thriving. You're flourishing because you put yourself under the discipline. Instead of just letting your heart go wherever it could. And now, as a parent, you get to watch your child maybe a year, several years later. Now, what? The piano's their freest place. And you see them come to the piano when their hearts are heavy and they just play and it ministers to their own heart because they can do it so well. Or you see them at a family event or church and they just come and, and they play and it ministers to people. Or they have troubles and and they come and they sit and they play. And what are they doing? I'm just clearing my mind of the day's events. Oh, it's a beautiful thing that takes place. We need the yoke of Christ to be what God created us to be. I have heard kids. Now I really am winding down. I've heard kids say to their parents. Mom or dad, why didn't you make me study harder? Why did you let me quit those lessons? Why did you make me stop playing tennis or stop playing the guitar? Or, you know, or why didn't you encourage me to do this? you let me quit? Why didn't you make me study? Sit me out. Because now I'm old. And guess what? I don't have the skills I need. The world's a big place. And I don't even have what I need to take advantage of it. I don't know my place now. And I see that I've been stifled because of decisions when I was young. Why didn't you make me? That's a great question. Eh, sure, maybe parents could be a little more strict. But you know what the truth is? No parent can make anybody do anything. It's very limited, right? Because you got kids that are sitting down on the inside but standing up on the, I'm sorry, sitting down on the outside but stand up on the inside. Maybe I could have done a little better saying, look, get back to your desk. But you know what? You can get at your desk and not really study. That's, and, and why is that? Because it's up to you, the individual. You have to decide what you want in life. You have to decide what's important. That's a lot of responsibility, but it's there. We have to receive the yoke. Personally, individually. Yes, maybe I don't feel like it, but I see that's what I need. That's what will get me where I want to go in life. Kiss the son, scripture says. Embrace him. Take him on and he will kiss you back. He will love you back. He will take you places and and give your heart and soul freedoms and your minds thoughts that you never imagined. Who enable you to see the world as it really is meant to be. And make sense of things. And you won't be lost. You will be found. There's no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. So what did we hear this morning? Blessed are all those who take refuge in this king. You do that. We do that. And this will be the best year ever. May God bless the preaching of His Word.